Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. Ruining the day. You don't rue anything else, but you rue the day. Why don't? Why can't I rue the, this past interview we just conducted? Like, oh, that interview sucked. Like, why don't I rue that interview? I rue this guy I work with. He sucks. Why do we rue the day but nothing else? Newsflash, no DJ likes requests. I always tell people that. I'm like, just relax. Drink with your friends. Have fun. You don't need to be like, fuck, we got to brainstorm what to tell the DJ to play. It's like, dude, we're good. What's up, guys? How we doing? Welcome back to No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. I'm Tim. And Nina Tarr is here today. She's a DJ at a crazy cool bar in Las Vegas' Cosmopolitan Hotel, as well as a stand-up comic. And we're talking about the DJ lifestyle, what it's like to travel the country as a comedian, and even squeezing in some pizza talk. But first, Tim, do you know what time it is? It's hot takes time. It is door slammers time. Door slammers time. And... I could hear that door slamming a mile away. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I go first. I got a couple of uh, uh, slammers for you here. So the first one, and this is very relevant to my current situation. So uh, as our regular listeners know, uh, my wife is about to go into labor at any moment. And we were debating the other day about whether or not you have to stop at red lights or if you get pulled over if you're on the way to the hospital in an emergency and i've long been of the opinion that you do not if you are being pulled over while you're in the going to the hospital when your wife is in labor you keep going right you don't stop you keep going what are your thoughts so it's a it's a risk reward right because you can keep going and if a cop stops you and asks you like why did you run that light and you tell him well, my wife's pregnant i have to go to the hospital He's going to understand and he's going to say, okay, we'll, we'll go on ahead. But is the time that it might take for the cop to stop you and have that conversation more than you would have spent just stopping for the red light in the first place? Very possibly. And how about if you are getting pulled over and you just don't pull over, you just keep going until you get to the hospital and then you park? It depends on how close you are to the hospital. I, you, you're, you're going to turn this into a car chase, Tim, with like six, you're going like, like 10 miles and, you, and the cop starts following you at mile one. You keep going for 10 miles. You're going to have six cars behind you thinking this guy's got a dead body in his, in his trunk. You know, if, if you're like right around the block from the hospital, take like 45 seconds, you don't pull over, you go into the hospital parking lot. Then you explain to the guy like, hey, here's what's going on. That's fine. I would, I would let him follow you for more than like five minutes though. Well, it's interesting, and I don't know where I learned this, but I was always under the impression that you didn't have to stop. But so I looked it up, and you do have to stop, and I was wrong. I like this, though. I like your planning for all scenarios. In your mind, in Tim's dreams right now, he's waking up in a cold sweat in the middle of a police chase, driving his pregnant wife to a, the hospital, just trying to be prepared for all weathers here, anything that might happen. For, yeah, for anything that could happen, I want to be ready to roll. That's been the that's been the moral of my last week is being ready yeah. for anything. But here's a question for you. If we're in the middle of recording a podcast and she goes into labor, do you stop recording the podcast or do you uh do you finish it? Do you just keep going? I think that I, I think that you finish the podcast is what happens. By myself? Imagine By being in the middle of a hot take, the hottest of takes that you've ever had. And Alicia's like, Tim, baby's coming. We got to go. You're like, oh, man, I, I, I don't have to tell you. I'm dropping some hot travel takes right now. People need to hear it. 
and this is going to be recorded for posterity on the internet forever. So you you gonna have to hold your horses. Get in the car. I'll be there in a sec. Right. And well, the funny thing is, is that I would probably actually finish up the hot take because unlike what you've seen your entire life in movies, uh, birthing doesn't happen in five minutes. You really aren't rushing to the hospital at 100 miles an hour, uh, fearing for the baby to be born in the car, unless you procrastinate on going to the hospital. In fact, when we were taking the class on, you know, the, the prenatal class, they informed us that we should birth at home for a while and go through phase one of labor at home and then go to the hospital a little bit later. Birthing expert Tim. Love that we're getting some bonus birthing knowledge on the podcast. Right. And I'm learning I'm learning all of this as we go. Like I, I believed the movies. Before I had a pregnant wife, I believed the movies. But now I've learned and I've been informed that I'm an idiot. On that note. Next question, and this is a this is a great one, and it's actually it it goes along with a story I wrote for Matador Network yesterday about visiting the world's highest bar in Hong Kong, uh, the Ozone at the top of the Ritz Carlton on the 118th floor, which I did in 2019. Uh, I was in Hong Kong by myself, and I went to this bar. I saw someone in the bar, and I swore that I knew her from uh, from back home, back in the states. Uh, and I approached, I called out her name. She didn't answer. Uh, I got a little closer and I ended up back. <laughs> I love to get, to get a little closer. So I called out her name again. She still didn't respond. So I got a little closer. I'm literally breathing down her neck. I approached and I didn't get all the way up to her table because she wasn't responding. So I figured I must have been mistaken. So I, I walked off and was like, okay, it's not her. Then about five minutes later, I was sitting by myself at a table, you know, looking out over the Hong Kong skyline. She approaches me, asks me to take a photo of her looking out over the skyline. So I do that. She returns the favor, takes a photo of me, and then she walks off. And after she walked off, after I had now had an interaction with her, I was still convinced that it was the person I thought it was, the person that I knew. Uh, and I can't help but wonder if she, the reason she approached me to take her photo was because she thought the same thing, but both of us thought it's so improbable that we would see somebody randomly in this bar 7,500 miles from home that we didn't actually believe it to be true or introduce ourselves. Is, is, there, is there a question in there, Tim? Or just the, the, the question is, have you ever had a situation like that where like you're convinced that you know this person uh, and it just never comes to fruition whether or not you do or don't, or don't know them? Uh, no, not that comes to mind, but I think the real interesting part here is what do you do when you are convinced that you know somebody in a public setting and in a completely, in an environment that is an improbable place that you, that you would see that person like Hong Kong and you lock eyes, they see you and they don't acknowledge you at all. It's like, do you do the awkward thing, which you did and approach and say their name? And then how often after saying their name a few times, she asked you to take a picture at that point, should you have said straight up, hey, are you this person? I'm surprised you didn't do that, actually. I am too. I, I didn't even introduce myself. Like I, I could have solved the, the issue right there by being like, hey, my name's Tim. She would have said, hey, my name is, it either is Kim or it is not Kim. Like I would have solved it right then. And this the, the, the wondering would kill me the days yes. afterwards thinking what if i had just it still asked? does it's it's been two years and it still bothers me so no i mean i don't think a similar thing has happened to me but i've been in situations just locally where 
I've been like, is that like I haven't seen someone in like ten years? Like if I went to high school with, like, is that that person? Like uh, I don't know. I don't want to like. And you can kind of tell that they might be thinking the same thing about you, but you don't really. And, and you, more often than not, what ends up happening is you both just kind of bypass each other, go your separate ways, and nothing ever comes of it. But it's, it's a shame. Yeah, and it's then a shame. You, wonder. you wonder. You're like, I should. That was yeah. so dumb. I should just be like, hey, are you that? Nope, no big deal. Fine. Right. Well, if you want to read the full story, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I did discuss the situation and get a little emo about it. But uh, those are my two yeah. hot takes today. Evan, Tim also wrote about? about it on his uh, live journal. On my live journal. It's his yeah, first it's... update since 2004. So it's worth a read. <laughs> so www.livejournal.com backslash Tim backslash Tim thoughts. Yep, that's it. All right. On my end, my first uh, question for you is, why are some words only used in very specific contexts? For example, tendered my resignation. Someone tenders their resignation. You don't tender anything else. You just tender a resignation. You don't tender. It's like, oh, I handed in my essay. You don't say, oh, I tendered my essay to my professor. Why do you tender a resignation? I don't know, but I feel like this might be a, a situation that's specific to the word tender because in some circumstances, people use the word tender to be referring to cash, money. No, it's, well, it's not specific to tender because it's also um, an embarrassment of riches. You don't say like, oh, I had an embarrassment of drinks last night. You don't say that. But it's, it technically means the same thing. It's a lot of drinks. You could replace that word. And it would work technically, but no one ever says it. So why is it tendered my resignation? Why is it an embarrassment of riches, but not an embarrassment of anything else? I don't know. That's a great question. And it, it kind of goes back to, uh, you know, with animals, it's like you've got like a gaggle of geese. And then you've got like, you know, all the other animals. Each animal has its own name for what a group of that animal is called. Why isn't it just called the same thing? I don't know. I think how I'm going to grapple with this is I'm going to start using these words in other inappropriate circumstances like people are going to say like oh so what did you um what did you do last night oh man dude i had an embarrassment of jack and cokes and that kind of works that works with the context as well it does it does you could also go to a restaurant and be like excuse me i'd like to tender my order exactly i like to tender my order you go to the cheesecake factory the gigantic menu it's like oh my god there's sorry sir i don't know exactly what i want yet you have an embarrassment of options here <laughs> But I think I'll tender the, uh, I'll tender the, the... <laughs> sweet and sour deep fried this or I'll that. I'll tender the chicken Caesar salad. I and I'll ruin the day. You don't rue anything else, but you rue the day. Why don't? Why can't I rue the evening? That the, this past interview we just conducted. Like, oh, that interview sucked. Like, why don't I rue that interview? I rue this guy I work with. He sucks. But no, you can't do that. But you can rue the day. Why? Why do we rue the day? But nothing else. I agree with you on that. All three of those points are are avid. Let me tell you this. I rue the Cheesecake Factory because they have an embarrassment of menu options that I find it very difficult to figure out which one I want to tender. So that's where I'll leave that. Next question for me is, what do you think about people who comment on those clickbait Facebook posts that ask you your favorite color or superhero movie? I honestly, like, this is the thing. Like, even going back to the earliest days of social media, back when we were on MySpace, there were these same things. And it's like, who is commenting? Who, why are you commenting on this? Why are you playing this game that, like, somebody shares this game and, like, they're trying to get extra goats on their farm? Like, if you comment, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, and there's the games, and there's also, like, um, uh, like you see on Facebook, like what's your what's your favorite Bond film? And then there's like a hundred thousand comments. 
of random middle-aged people just saying like golden eye and then people argue and then they like hate each it's other it's like cool who cares and that's it they're not they're not offering like an like a fun context or any kind of insight it's just golden eye like who cares like what why, why do you what inspired you to see that and then be like the, this anonymous poster that just clearly wants clicks probably a james bond like studio sponsored post needs to know that i like goldeneye i'm not even like being funny about it i just am telling people i like goldeneye like what is that the favorite and then there's some that are geared to specifically get your password info like what's your what's the name of your first pet or what's your what's your favorite car what's the what kind of car do you have people would just straight up say like oh my first pet is named max like cool now this guy has your password well you just yeah you just hit the nail on the head right there it's a data trove they're trying to get as much information about everyone as they can and whoever is making the post is either gaining from the gaining of that information or they're gaining from the engagement on that post right and i'll i'll see i, I used to think it was only like older people that would do that and they're like oh this is a fun little game but i've recently noticed people i'm like friends with on facebook that are more my age and they'll post they'll be like oh what's your uh what's better friends or seinfeld and they'll comment sign oh seinfeld all the way it's like, where do you think that answer is going off to into the into the it's the dark hole of the Internet that's going to get sucked into 10,000 other similar answers, all saying the exact same thing. It's not making an impact positive or negative on anybody. Like, why even take the three seconds out of your day to comment Seinfeld? Why do people do that? Right. Here's another question for you, Evan. Do you think that Facebook is going the way of MySpace? Because I think it is. I think people are bailing. Uh, and I think all that's been going on in the news over the last week with the whistleblower is furthering that. I think I think Facebook is going to be the next MySpace. I mean, I think you're probably right, but it's on. I, I don't know. Maybe this is a hot take, but like, I think it's unfortunate. I like Facebook. I think Facebook's fine. I think it's a great way to to stay up to. You post what you want. If you're not comfortable having certain uh, statuses or updates or images online, don't post it. And it's a good way to keep up with people and what they're doing as people move away, as people lose touch. Facebook is a way that I do honestly feel like I'm connected with people that I otherwise wouldn't have any idea what they're doing. Putting aside Messenger, which is a much more tangible way of staying in touch with people, which I use all the time, Facebook Messenger. I like Facebook. I like being able to, I don't use it a lot. I haven't posted in a year and a half, but I like being able to keep up with what people are doing and I think it's nice. I think if used properly, putting aside all the misinformation news stuff, I think Facebook is nice. I like Facebook. Hate me for that if you want. No, I, I actually, I, for a long time, greatly enjoyed Facebook. Uh, I was active on it. And it was like, it really was the 2016 election cycle that first turned me off of Facebook. And my use has gradually declined ever since. And I think that they did have a great concept, still do have a great concept with the connection and the circles, but it's, it's the misinformation and the nonsense that they've got to get. Nobody gets online to figure out what their next door neighbor thinks about politics. Not a single person has ever done that. So they got to get that right. under control. Back to basics. It's a social network. It's not a news network. That's it, It's interesting because I, I kind of view and have begun over the last year viewing social media networks, the big three, as this. Facebook is your past. Twitter is your present. And Instagram is what you aspire to be in the Ooh, future. Ooh, I like that. 
So what is it that you aspire to be? Well, according to my Instagram, I aspire to be a, a podcast host. But I think <laughs> I, hold on. I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go on Tim's. I'm gonna if go on you, Tim's Instagram, and we're gonna we're gonna debunk yeah. this right now. Okay. So yeah, I really hope that your aspirational comment isn't rooted in this post of yours from March 24, 2020, where you say the perfect dine at home fine dining experience. Then you post a picture of two TV would look like TV dinners. It looks like one paltry piece of chicken on top of noodles and a small piece of bread 12 of these would not be one portion for me tim that was actually during the COVID lockdown when no one could go to restaurants and you had to get pick up outside all right well here's hoping your stay-at-home dining prospects improve dramatically since this photo was taken i would say that they have Good. Well, we're going to improve the prospects of our listeners by getting right into this interview with Nina. We'll see you guys on the other side. Nina Tarr is a DJ, actress, writer, and comedian who's traveled the country doing stand-up. She's also the only live vinyl DJ on the Vegas Strip in the Cosmopolitan's Super Frico Bar Nina, really appreciate you taking the time out of what appears to be an impossibly busy schedule. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. Um, thanks for having me. You seem to have a lot of uh, irons in the fire right now. Actress, DJ, comedian. I mean, I have one job and that's way too much for me. Does it get exhausting doing all these things and having to balance so many different projects? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing is that, like, I think on paper, it's... Um, it seems like I do so much, but you have to take in consideration everything I do is very public facing. So it's like, if you, if everyone knew the minutia of your schedule, I think it would also seem like a lot. So people are like, how do you do this? You have a stand-up show and then you got a DJ and then you, you like are auditioning or you're shooting or doing something. It's like, let me explain to you. I uh, never played sports in my life. Uh, don't know a lot of stuff. The only things I'm good at is like music stand-up acting like it's pretty much only that you know other than that like i'm an idiot i feel like nowadays that's so indicative of the culture of having multiple passion projects compared to maybe 30 40 years ago when everyone had one job one career and that was their track for their whole life now everyone has a, a job like four side hustles whereas and you're kind of like in this creative space where you're doing, you know, music curation and stand-up comedy and you write and you act. And it's, I think it's like a very uh, indicative of the current moment we're living in. Yeah. Well, I think also taking consideration that um, that's really the way that uh, Western, you know, civilization has been rearing, you know, I mean, even if you just kind of look at our school system, you know, we went to school being like, okay, you have an hour of history and an hour of math and then an hour of science and then an hour of English. And so, you know, our education system is so schizophrenic in that way. And there's so much happening that how could we not kind of glean onto that? You know, we're, we're products of that. So it's like, you know, the whole concept of like jack of all trades, because we, we have, we're in the age of the individual. So, you know, back in the day, I think a community was such a more integral part of society. So you had a cobbler and it's like, that guy is the best at making shoes. And then you have a baker and that person is great at, you know, baking bread and all of these things. And you would, you know, it was, it was definitely more community based. And, and now it's extremely more, it's more singular. You know, you really have to do all of these things, you know, yourself. 
Hey, and none of the things that you do are things that uh, we learn in school. <laughs> there's no there's no school block for learning how to DJ or tell jokes to large audiences. There kind of should be though. I think I feel like that would be like a good progressive curriculum, wouldn't it? Like, all right, get up there, tell me a joke, kid. Like, tell <laughs> they, me a joke. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's here's the thing that if you want to, if if we can be like reductionist about it, you, you we do actually have all of those things. You know, um, I consider myself like uh, we have you know public speaking, like speech and debate. That is something that you know you learn in school. Um, in terms of like music, I mean, my background is significantly more historical, you know, like I'm a vinyl collector. I listen to a lot of older music. I like studied art history in college, you know, which is, uh, you know, every fucking white woman is obsessed with art history, but I consider, I consider, you know, this, this is musical history. You know, these are, I'm making sure I'm, I'm basically, you know, cultivating all of these tunes, you know, and, and choosing them and, and, you know, giving them to you and, and in like a manner that I find to be audibly pleasing. Right. So talk about what exactly your role is at Super Frico, because I didn't know exactly what a music curator was. Yeah. You know, when you walk into a space, uh, any like a hotel or a club or whatever, there's music playing, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's use a hotel. Okay. Um, there's somebody that makes those playlists, you know? So there's somebody that like makes, like that gets the vibe aesthetically of the place, you know? I mean, I spent a lot of time at Super Frico watching also the show, Opium, and, you know, kind of be like, what is, what is going to be the most conducive for this space audibly? Like, how do you create a soundscape for something that also placates to the interior design, the show itself, the thematics of the entire space, all of that? How do you, how do you do that? Um, so I kind of spent a lot of time there watching the show, kind of, you know, the food that, you know, there's, there's, it's a very much a universe that, you know, Spiegel World has created, you know, there's entertainment, there's a bar, there's music, there's, uh, you know, immersive theater occurring there. There's a lot happening, you know, and, uh, I, I was tasked with doing all of the music, which was an honor for me. And I've done it a few other spaces, but I basically onboarded vinyl DJs. So I DJ there myself um, once a month. They have a residency. So I live in New York, but I go there once a month and do a weekly. And then I used to run a, um, a collective called All Girls All Vinyl, which is based in Los Angeles. And it was a DJ collective of all, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory, it's all female vinyl DJs. Um, because it's a very male-dominated, the DJ is male-dominated, and then also vinyl DJ, and the specificity of that is even more so. So I wanted to kind of create something like a Rolodex of, you know, women that are really talented and maybe don't have the same uh, experience that, that men have or the same relationships as men have. So I used some of the people in my um, Rolodex from LA, men and women, brought them over, also found some Vegas local DJ who's incredible, he's awesome. Um, and then I also, oh, anytime you hear like live DJing, those are the, those are me and the people that I've, you know, hired and also I've made a pretty kind of strict curriculum of what to, is to be played. So for the Super Frico space, I really wanted some like spacey disco, some funk, some boogie, a little bit of new wave, maybe some post-punk and some synth. Because it is kind of, it's this re retro super future kind of vibe in there. And I want the music to uh, be appropriate for that. And then all the music that you hear when a live DJ isn't spinning is me, is, is vinyl mixes that I have actually made. So they're a few hour long 
playlist that I've made. So um, I have like turntables and I'll hook up a preamp and then do like a two hour set, record that, send it over. Yeah, and this is what I think people don't understand, and I certainly didn't, when you just walk into a bar, walk into a restaurant or nightclub, and you just hear a kind of ambience or background music playing, or even a DJ that's playing live, that how how carefully selected and meticulously curated that is to fit in with the vibe of whatever the space is. Yeah. And you almost think like, okay, like this DJ, it's their, their time to play, they're going to play their favorite songs, and hopefully I like it, but whoever's curating the music it's like that's like a full-time job totally. making sure it's in line with the aesthetic and the vibe and everything well you're curating everything that's the thing it's like i chose these djs too and they reflect on me so the whole space really reflects upon my taste it's people that i've hired that i think can carry out the task you know of, of playing music that is appropriate for this space and then also the music that i myself you know chose and selected but you know i don't in terms of meticulousness like I'm not sure if every space is that meticulous. I definitely am kind of a, I can be type A when it comes to that. I get into, I really get into the minutiae of it where I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure this, like even building out the soundscape for it. I'm like, I think this song would be good here. Okay, then let's make, you know, it's, it's this consist, it's like Tetris, <laughs> you know, all the time. Um, but I love it. I mean, it's like, I have a acute ear for it. I always wondered when a bar is like, auditioning a DJ, trying them out, deciding if they want to hire them. It's like, what do they, do they just like sit there? Does the DJ play in an empty room except for like the hiring manager, an <laughs> empty dance floor? And like, how does, how does that interview work? Now it's very much like kind of who, you know, how many, how, how have you like built and developed these relationships over time? So I think a lot of people that I choose are people that are very passionate about the medium itself. You know, which is which is different. And there's there's so many incredible DJs that utilize a myriad of different med mediums. And I don't think a digital DJ is better than a vinyl DJ or vice versa. It doesn't matter. It's all about the music that you play. That's all that really matters to me. But the craft of vinyl DJing is a little bit more precious, you know. <laughs> I don't um, prefer but, one over the other, but the craft is just so much more precious to vinyl. Yeah, it is. I mean, like you're playing something that's tangible. It's not some sort of innocuous MP3 that you downloaded. Like you bought this record. You remember where you bought it. There's. It's also like there is a finite amount of plays on a record. So every time you play a record it's a little death, <laughs> you know, like it's, you're really giving music to people because you are, there is a wear and tear. Vinyl DJing must make audience requests hard. You can't just request a song and then they just click on it like they would on a computer, can you? Newsflash, no DJ likes requests. It doesn't well, matter. Well, and that was going to be my, that was my follow-up question. It doesn't matter. Some will, some will do, some will take them, but you got it. I've always actually wanted to ask like how much the DJs hate audience requests. Because I feel like so embarrassed for everybody involved when people go up and are like, can you play Beyonce? It's like, no, they really don't want to play Beyonce. Yeah, it just, you know what it is? It's um, when it's your profession that you've been doing for years and years and somebody comes in and is like, hey, I have an idea for the thing that you're um, already like very skilled at. Let me, and it's like, I'm sorry, what do you do? You're a dental hygienist. Okay, so I don't go into your work and, you know, uh, pardon my French, but knock the dick out of your mouth. So, you know, step aside, me alone. You know, like it's, and no DJ likes requests. Here's the thing, uh, just to, I mean, to break it down. 
A DJ is hired by the owner of an establishment for their taste, not for somebody else's taste. They are really like you, what your role is, you're in this proverbial pulpit, which is the DJ booth, and you are consistently reading a room, and then you are using your selections to, to play for and to the room. Now, when somebody comes in and they don't really, it, it depends, like request, it depends. I have some people, they come in, they come up to me, they come out with their palms out, they're polite, and they're like, you know, I like what you're doing, blah, blah. Let's say I'm playing The Cure and The Smiths and Depeche Mode, and they're like, hey, do you have any NXS? Yeah, totally. If you're going to get fired up listening to NXS, it's totally within what I'm playing right now. I got you. And then especially if I'm like playing vinyl, and then they're like, hey, um, can you play, um, excuse me, um, it's my friend's birthday. Can you play Toxic by Britney Spears? And I'm like, oh, I'm playing records. They're like, what? Well, I'll plug my phone in. I'm like, bitch, it ain't an Uber, okay? <laughs> I'll no. put my phone in. <laughs> I think back in the day, people used to approach, I mean, this is more societal crit critique, but like you approach the world being like, I am like a visitor in, the, in a space of the outside world. And I think as time has moved on, we now try to bend the will of spaces to suit us, you know? So we're like, I want this to suit me. Instead of being like, you're walking into a space that you should actually like, you know, it, it's a, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I don't know. I think, I think requests are, are rude, you know? So requests are fine if you are hired by a per, like a private party or whatever it may be. And then it's totally invited. I DJ a wedding or an event or whatever. Yeah, like come up to what do you want? You hired me, you know, I'm here for you. But when it's like a bar or a club, but it's like this is my space. Yeah, if it's within the the context of what you're doing, then you'll entertain it. Yeah, it's the context of the space. And the term request I think is so funny because people will say, Can I make a request? And I'll be like, Oh, I'm not really taking requests. And they're like, What? I'm like, Do you know what the definition of a request is? It's a request. It's not like do this. Sorry, I get really passionate about this because every DJ is like, like, we hate requests. We know what we're doing. It's not like we're like, fuck, like, what am I going to play next? Like, we know what we're going to do. I, I really hope someone comes up and like makes her like an educated request. <laughs> yeah. I like demand. I like just calling it, just reframing it. It's a, it's a demand. It's a dear DJ demand. Yeah. Yeah. Are you taking demands? I'm going to say that next time I go out. Yeah. Are, you, are you taking demands? You know what I like to say to people when they say, um they'll like try to make a request um i'll say do you know that desire is the root of all suffering and they're like what <laughs> i'm like i'm not taking your request to, uh, to the ears of like someone who's seven like white claws in. in <laughs> yeah wait what so will you pay ariana grande that's funny so listen people don't request stop requesting they hate it they hate it. Don't request. Unless you hired me, then I'm happy to. Okay. Happy Hire her, then make a request. Then make all the demands you want. Yeah. How about this? It's like it's like somebody coming into your work and then acting like they're your boss, and you're like, "Who the fuck are you?" And they're like, "Oh, I'm just like a random person spending money here." And you're like, "No, get out of here. What do you? What? You're not. The, you can't tell me what to do." Yeah, it's like being it's like being an accountant, and then a DJ walks in unannounced, <laughs> strolls up to your cubicle, and is like. Can you please make me seven spreadsheets with all of these random numbers on it? I, I just feel like that would like look real. That would look real nice. It's like, no. There you go. I think that's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah, I think some of the reasons people do that, though, is because we have this sense that 
like a lot of bars and nightclubs are the same. Like they're not like Super Frico, which is more eccentric and has its own vibe and personality. I think a lot of places in the U.S. and around the world are just very. They play the same fifty songs on repeat. Any any given Friday or Saturday night, you walk in, you'll hear the same music. And I think people are like, well, this isn't this isn't an art. They're just playing the the hits. You're an iPod with sentience. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like so <laughs> so what's it to them if I go in and I ask for a request? So I think that's part of the the problem. And the other side of this problem is I mean, when you travel around the world and you go to different nightclubs, different bars, you kind of want a sense of international music sometimes. So sometimes you, you're traveling, you go to a nightclub. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you go. Sometimes you're traveling. You do want that familiarity. You're in, you know, Bangkok, and you go to a nightclub and you hear Rihanna, and you're like, okay, good. This makes me feel like I'm home. It's nice. But sometimes you really do want a more international flavor, and it's actually tough to get that because a lot of clubs around the world play the same top forty American music everywhere you go, and while it's comforting in a weird way, it's also kind of sad. And I think, I don't know, do you think that's, if you know where to go, like a place like Super Frico, you can get a more individualized, unique vibe. But I mean, I don't know, do you think this is a problem that there's just this uniform club culture everywhere you go in the world? I don't know if there's like a problem necessarily in it. And I completely understand like, you know, the space, like wanting the space to feel familiar and using music in order to create the familiarity but it's almost like what i was saying before of like i think that it's like this thing in our culture where people they don't want to immerse themselves in an uncomfortable or whatever you know a, a foreign environment so what they do is that they bring things from home or bring things that they know you know like they're like oh well if i hear this song i know this song and therefore i will feel more comfortable in this space because i'll know what's happening because everything else feels weird or foreign or mysterious and i don't know what's happening so they rely on on you but what i just ask is like have a listen sit back because i think some people i mean really i see people walk into a place and then fully come to the dj booth and be like do this for me and it's like you are not a sultan. Like, this is not, like, this is not, you know, your, this isn't your place, you know? Like, you're coming into our place. Do you think deep down people really don't want to be immersed in another culture? That they kind of want another culture or another... To come to them. Uh, an atmosphere on their own terms and on their own time? Then what's the point of living? What's, I mean, that's, that's insane. That's like saying, I don't try any new food because it could taste yucky, you know? And there's totally people like that where they like, don't want to have new experiences and like, and, and in any way, shape or form, they don't want to try new food. They don't want to listen to new music. They don't want to meet new people. You know, they don't want to travel to foreign countries. You know, that's all fine. Again, that's all fine and good, <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's not what, what a DJ whose job it is to really like mine music. Like I listen to music all day. I listen to music all day. I'm always organizing like music of like, listen to like Spotify. I'll make playlists of like, oh, that like genre playlists. I search for records all the time. I take like all of these things. I'm, that's a part of my profession. I do that so then I can get the best of the best and then I can give it to you. It's a gift. You know, and so it's like, what's the point of like being like, okay, just, I mean, 
by the way, I also play the hits a lot. I love Prince and Madonna and Bowie and Talking Heads and all of, I play the hits for sure. But if I want to like throw in some Nigerian funk song, just trust me because I bet you're going to be like, damn, what is this banger? This is sick. And you're like, yeah, I found this for you. Here you go. It's like someone giving you a gift for your birthday and you saying like, I don't really want this, but can I, can you return this for me and go to the store and get me something else? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, and I know it's a part of like my job to like, to necessitate um, and, 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 you know, give to the crowd totally. And I want to mm -hmm. do that. Of course, every DJ wants to make a room dance. But what I'm saying is, trust me, I will. I will. Like, yeah. just don't, don't worry about it. Like, I got you. I got you. <laughs> You, you got all these bash threat parties all stressed out in their hotel rooms before they go out worried that the dj isn't gonna <laughs> isn't gonna do a good job and that they're gonna have to pick up the slack so just it's good to hear now once and for all to reassure them you got it you can handle it you don't need their help they can just relax enjoy the night i always tell people that i'm like just relax you didn't you cut you came out to like drink and party right okay so then like They'll be like, oh, do you have this? And like, oh, I don't. Well, do you have this? Wait, let me let me think about let me think about uh, another thing to play, and then I'll come back to you. And I'm like, you don't need just relax, drink with your friends, have fun. You don't need to be like, fuck, we gotta brainstorm what to tell the DJ to play. It's like, dude, we're, we're good. You enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah, this is good. This is this is I think gonna clear up a lot of things. I don't think no no one's gonna request anything of you ever ever again. <laughs> This is good. Sorry, I'm too passionate about that. I think I get so, I think every, I'm, I'm on, I feel like I'm a martyr speaking on behalf of all DJs. No, it's great because even now, <laughs> even I, 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 everyone knows to some degree that DJs don't like requests, but everyone does it anyway, including me. So, I mean, this is, I think, this is a you good, do it? Uh, cathartic moment for everybody. 100% guilty. Wow. <laughs> Am I, is it a chronic thing? No, but I'll do it. Have done it. We'll do it again, probably, to be honest. I thought you were going to say crime. Is it a crime? I'm like, yes. It's a crime. <laughs> uh, so, Isla, I mean, you are not only a DJ, but you also are a comedian. And has New York and L.A. been the two primary places you've performed or really evenly spread throughout the country? I've done, I've done every place, pretty much. I, I did a um, North American tour. Uh, I opened for uh, Ariel Pink, who is like great experimental uh, pop artist. Um, but I opened for him on his North American tour, and we did uh all like major cities in canada and then all i mean it was like an eight-week tour and then all of the u.s so i performed in pretty much like every mm -hmm. major city what city has the worst sense of humor like what city has been the worst crowd just doesn't get it okay i think la is a little too um la is like this i will relate the two djing as well as comedy i feel like uh, there's a lot of self-consciousness happening in LA. Like people are, are just like hyper aware of the way that they're perceived in public. So like people don't like dance as like, they don't cut loose as much because they're like, Oh my God, like what if I look dumb while dancing? And so they, they are kind of like a little, they would rather look cool, you know, than like have a good time. It's more important to look cool. And then I think with laughing too, like at some shows in LA, they'll be like, is it okay to laugh at this? I'm like, yeah, come on. Like, like worried it's like, it's offensive or they're they're good. Like yeah. they shouldn't laugh. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Los Angeles, no sense of humor. <laughs> Nina Tara says no, all of LA has no sense of humor. You can quote me on that. <laughs> Never laughed in their lives. That's it. And I, this, this comes to mind because we just had um, uh, two girls on la two weeks ago who run a dating podcast 
and we're talking about dating in different parts of the country and different attitudes and how it's really so different just culturally. Yeah. Have you noticed a difference in Los Angeles dating wise than a place like New York? I just picked New York because it's where you live now and it's also very, very different. But yeah, I mean, any any differences when it comes to just like getting out there and meeting people? I think in LA, I think sometimes guys would rather be with a girl. Okay, it kind of goes, okay. It goes back to what I was saying about, like, I think in LA very much is like, how does it look like or how am I perceived versus how do I actually feel? You know, there's a little bit more barriers. There's a lot of self-consciousness in terms of like, how, how, how am I being perceived by other people? So I think sometimes people in LA, it's very much, what does it look like? Not what is it? So I think that guys, a lot of times in LA would rather date a girl who's like really hot instead of like baby has like a little more to offer like maybe intellectually imagine that what a novel concept yeah wow Jeez, that's a yeah. hot take shocking. <laughs> but is it more about status do you think yeah it's an arm piece it's like that's why people in in la like you know the car you drive is important it's car culture you know in new york it's like the clothes you wear are important you know like we don't really have cars here but i think in new york it's also like i think a guy if his arm candy needs to like have a degree whereas in la it's like well she needs to have perfect tits you know, like that's, it's like a different value system, you know? And again, I'm making generalizations and I just don't want to say that everybody in LA is vapid and all these guys just and no sense of humor for girls that are hot. But I, I have seen a guy, like, I mean, I lived in LA my whole life and I, okay. Like a guy will come up to me and like, you know, hit on me or something. And maybe I say like a three syllable word and I see the light in his eyes leave. And I'm like, Oh, he doesn't like, that I have opinions. <laughs> this is like, he's like, Oh, whoa, I just like hit on you because I thought you were hot. And now you're like talking about <laughs> shit. I don't understand. I hate this. And I think I can relate it to the corollary between the weather. So I think in LA, everything's so like laid back and easy. It's like always like 70 degrees. Like it's a very easy place to live. It's very accommodating in so many ways. And it's easy. It's laid back. It's chill. It's beautiful, you know? And I think that that kind of, you take that approach on with your life, you know, I think in New York, New York is filled with hustlers. Like people are struggling. It's also like you live in the city. It's so fucking expensive here, not only to live, but to get around food, everything. And then the weather has, is just adverse conditions all the time. Like, you know, it's like, but you're like, I need to be in New York because what I want in my life is to follow this pursuit and I have to be in New York to do it. And it fucking snows and it rains and it's too hot, but I gotta be here. And I think I can relate that to dating in a weird way where it's like, I think people are down to be more challenged in New York. Like, I think if, when I meet a guy in New York who maybe is like, damn, like, She's just, she's different. Like they're actually intrigued. And in LA, they're like, ugh, she's different. Seems difficult. <laughs> like there's, you know, like I'd rather just like hang out <laughs> with somebody that's like hot and nice, you know, like that just smiles, you know? Yeah. Hey, I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with generalizing. The way we form opinions of places is by meeting people that live there and by, you know, having experiences there. So I think, hey, we people, we generalize based on one person we meet in the city and we're like, oh, all the people in that city suck. So I think, I think <laughs> it's fair to say if you've been on the apps, you've been on the dating apps or whatever. And, I do uh, analog dating. In-person dating. Huh. Wow. Interesting. 
Yeah, bespoke. Farm to table. <laughs> Farmersmeat.com. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very novel these days. Well, I want to close on before we get to our last segment. Your Instagram handle is Pizza Party. Big pizza person, I'm going to assume. 69. Pizza Party 69. Don't Love forget it. it. Okay. Pizza Party 69. Thoughts on Hawaiian pizza? Need to know. I actually love pineapple on pizza. I know. Pineapple, how about this? Get pepperoni pizza, pineapple, and jalapeno. I see. This is such a, I don't understand why it's such a polarizing topic, but like, it's like telling people that, it's like telling people you don't like bacon. There are certain foods, if you tell people you don't like it, they're like, oh my God, they act like you've, you've like slaughtered their whole family. And it's like, they lose you know their what? It's, they're like, oh, pineapple on pizza. Yeah. It's delicious. The thing is, it's all like, like I said, different strokes. I just, I, I've never given a shit about somebody's like very particular opinion. It's like somebody's like, hey, my favorite band is, uh, I don't know, God, Creed. I'm, I mean, like, I'm like, okay, that sucks. I don't agree but like fine if that makes you happy I'm, I'm happy for you that you found this band whatever you know like I don't I don't I just don't give a fuck but look there's something okay the sweet and savory I mean that's pretty damn good but it's funny what you're saying of like people get offended okay my my old roommate one of my best friends she hates avocado okay now being from California and having somebody we're both her and I both raised in Southern California she people refuse to let it go she'd be like oh i don't they'll arrest you in southern california oh, yeah they she like would have to fight they're like come on really you don't like guacamole she's like no and i just <laughs> i i basically for the sake of her i'm just like you just need to tell people you're allergic don't don't even just yeah. say i'm mm-hmm. deathly allergic to avocado because if you say it's a preferential thing people will bully you they like bull, they would i would see it all the time they'd be like what you don't, like, you don't like avocado? It's like, what is this? A fucking Israel-Palestine conflict? Like, it doesn't need to be this, like, like oh, God. People get so offended. I, I used to not like chocolate. Growing up, I didn't like chocolate. I would not eat chocolate. Wow. Like, try growing up and not liking chocolate and telling people that. How old were you when you turned? It, it was a gradual process. I started, it was started with milk chocolate, and then I it, it took me a little longer to come around on dark chocolate. What I age? love it all now. What age are we talking? Uh, probably, like, 15 to 17 or 18 okay. around there but yeah like as That's a as, palette thing but like like halloween trick-or-treating i would col- i would collect all the chocolate and i would just throw away all the milk all the chocolate i would only eat the like the 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 sweet the sweet tarts and like the nerds and like the the fruity stuff you wouldn't barter it yeah i, I like i don't know my parents would take and they would do they would eat it or they would do something where they give it away <laughs> they would do sick shit with it <laughs> i don't know i don't ask it's a sore subject so I, yeah i don't know but so that's and I, and I was just like you know ostracized is probably a strong word a little too dramatic but that's how i feel wow, when you tell people like <laughs> yeah I, I, I love hawaiian pizza and they're like what are you kidding me and the more i'm more one with more nuance here is i think white pizza because you'll see that on menus and they'll be it'll be like oh it's mushrooms and like a white wine sauce and cheese and you're like oh that looks good and you notice no bread sauce and I have an issue with that because I feel like it's not pizza unless there's the three cardinal ingredients, which are red sauce, cheese, and crust. So white pizzas, I, I'm still coming around on. I'm open-minded, oh, I love but white pizza. I just feel like they're cheesy breads. They're they're like fancy dressed-up cheesy no, breads that's... more so than they are pizza. 
it's a different sauce though. It's like a, it's like, um, sometimes they use like creme fraiche or something or like a white, like the white sauce or like, or what about like pesto pizza? I, I think it needs red sauce to be pizza. Like that's my definition like marinara. of what pizza you is. Need the marinara. A marinara, yeah, like a tomato sauce. I'll even accept small like tomatoes, some kind of red tomato base. Throw after that, throw whatever you want on it. I'm okay with it. I used to eat, uh, you know, like Domino's has that those cinestics with the frosting. Yeah. I would drizzle like cinestic frosting on pizza. What? Like all the time. And people were Have like, "Have you talked oh, to a so therapist disgusting. about this?" But to me, to this me, is crazy. Yeah, I did. They did. They were, they prescribed that as like a, as a remedy for all my emotional problems, and it worked. It's great. It immediately made me happier. That's your Prozac. That's it. And hey, I'd highly recommend that. So, if people wow. take two things away from this interview, it's cinestic frosting on pizza and just stop requesting things from DJ. Two things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's those are it. the two major points. <laughs> I hate to go on my diatribe about about not requesting. I guess I get you actually like I get so passionate about it, and then I'm like, okay, I need to like pump my own brakes. Like I'm getting like too like I'm like and another thing, and I'm like, all right, like it's, it's like a once every <laughs> once a quarter of rant you need to have. So now this has been your outlet. So now you're good for another like three to four months, and then you can it'll build up again. I'm a quarterly ranter, I would say. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. a quarterly ranter. Yeah. Right. I, another thing that I would prescribe for anybody. A good quarterly rant never hurt anybody. Oh, my gosh. Yes. To pivot a little bit to our, our listener question. Um, so this is a question that we have listeners submit in advance. So we pick one to have you offer your thoughts on. So this is fairly unrelated to comedy and uh, DJing but and pizza, unfortunately. But the question comes from Skylar, and it is, do you have any tips for a solo traveler who might be afraid to explore alone and i also i would actually add myself that i think this is particularly uh, an issue and a question that comes up when it comes to female travelers so uh, i'm not sure how much you've traveled but what are your thoughts on that that's a great question um i've traveled quite a bit i've traveled by myself a lot um but within the u.s um just because i've traveled for djing and comedy and everything like that and obviously english speaking countries for, for comedy you know <laughs> that's uh that's helpful um i never traveled internationally by myself and i'm sure that comes with a lot of things i guess um because my advice is like don't be afraid to ask questions and if you feel uh uncomfortable then listen to your inner like just listen to yourself too you know i think sometimes like we'll it's hard to be a barometer in a place that you're a foreigner in even if you're a foreigner in you know tulsa <laughs> you know it's like it's um but trust yourself and your intuition like as a woman i think that we are gifted with having like kind of uh, natural intuition and if you don't like being somewhere, you feel like, oh, this is a little sketchy or weird, then leave, you know? Also tell people where you're at. Like if you're gonna go somewhere, you know, if let's say you wanna go travel by yourself, just make sure that like your friends and, and or family have like know where you're staying, you know? Like whether it be an Airbnb or a hotel, you know? And just if, if you feel like uncomfortable, reach out to, to, to your friends and family that are back home be like, hey, like the, you know, always, I just, I, I, I think a lot of times we can um, suppress our own feelings of like, oh, am I being paranoid? But I think when you're traveling, you should maybe be a little paranoid, you know, be a little bit aware of, of where you're at and everything. Um, but I don't think it should hold anyone back from traveling, you know, um, 
I at all, obviously. Um, but just like, you know, take an acute awareness to the fact that you are somewhere that you're unfamiliar with and, um, you know, just be safe and have fun and, um, you know, be communicative. I think nothing is drives home the feeling that you are alone when you're traveling as eating by yourself, going out to a restaurant and eating alone. Does that ever that make you uncomfortable? You don't do that in your own city. I've gotten more used to it and comfortable with it traveling. But if I have a choice, absolutely not. I, I hate eating by myself. I feel like eating sometimes can be very utilitarian where I'm just like, I just need to get food in me so I don't like die sort of thing. And then when I luxuriate in a meal, of course, I would like to share that meal with somebody. But sometimes like if you're, I don't know, like I, I if you're in a foreign place, you're by yourself and you're like, I just want to treat myself. And then you don't, have to, it's kind of nice to go to dinner by yourself. Sometimes you have a glass of wine, like a bowl of pasta and you're just like, wow, I'm just like really like being served and I don't have to fucking talk to anybody. I can like read, I can be on my phone, I can just like chill. It's like, there's nothing like it's, I mean, I love being by myself because there's nothing required of you. That's the beauty of it. You know, it's like sometimes, God, I'd rather be by myself than some dates I've been on where I'm like, fuck, like I had this guy bought me pasta fazool and now I got to tell him like, you know, my family history or some shit. I'm like, this is exhausting. Could have just bought my own pasta for Zool. Especially if you're dating in uh, L.A. where apparently everybody just sucks. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I mean... I am a product of it. I'm a product of L.A. So I, I have... I, like... I rep it hard. I, I love... I love L.A. I think sometimes I... It's like... It's not even love-hate. It's more like love and ambivalence. Well said. And we'll end on that. Nina, thanks so much for stopping by. Where can people check you out? On my Instagram handle, like you mentioned, is Pizza Party sixty nine. Um, I mean, you could just honestly, you could just Google me. I have like everything's online. A lot of my stand up is online. Um, some stuff I've been in, um, acting wise, all of that stuff. But yeah, just Nina Tar. There's honestly, there's no other. There's kind of I'm the only one that shows up. So isn't that nice? Isn't that <laughs> nice to? I mean, I have a weird name, so it's similar for me. Ugh. Isn't it nice to just be the only one it's to great, show up man. on Google? Well, I got to say this years ago. So there is another Nina Tarr and she is a university um, of Illinois law professor. And she used to be the top hit. And that bitch is now on the third page. Oh, hey. do you think she like, do you think she refreshes the Google search engine like 10 times a day? Just like seeing if she squeak right back onto the second page. No, maybe she can't. She's so, she's so far out now. No, she barely publishes exists. like an article in some like prestigious law journal. She's like, do you think that'll, no. that'll, that'll, that'll get me back up to the second page. That's the only thing motivating her career right now is maybe getting back to page two. And I'm like, ha my IMDB profile is going to fucking scale any litigation paper you have. <laughs> hey, but on the bright side for her, she'll probably do really well dating in New York with that degree. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But don't tell her to come to LA. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to chat with you. I appreciate it. And uh, have a wonderful day. Okay, well, here we are in the news of the day section. In the first piece, Evan, uh, some big news that's been all over everything in the media today. William Shatner has traveled to the edge of space with Jeff Bezos' company, Blue Origin. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on this. My personal opinion is that it's a total, total novelty. Uh, what are your thoughts? William Shatner went to space. People really do seem to care about this, don't they? Yeah. When people play somebody on TV... 
everyone knows that it's not real, but I think there's a part of them somewhere in their like the the most romantic, fantastical part of their brain that kind of thinks that that person really is that fictional character. William Shatner is actually Captain Kirk, and now he's really in space, and that bridge between the fictional and the real world really gets people going. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting. He's 90, so he's the oldest person to have gone to space so far, and also arguably among the most famous people to have gone to space so far. And, and you know, I kind of get the, you know, people are have the, the opinion of, oh, why are we spending all this money to send William Shatner to space when there's all these problems to solve here on Earth? Uh, I don't disagree with that. However, I am full-heartedly in favor of space travel and space research and progressing that sector. I don't know if sending William Shatner to space is necessarily doing much there, but in general, I feel that uh, pushing our boundaries into space is good. I think it's progressive, and I think it's the future. So I, I, I tend to not side with the people that think we should not be doing that. Yeah, I'm happy for him. If you go to space, you go to space. That's literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That's once in a, not just in your lifetime, it's once in everybody's lifetime opportunity. So you go to space, and you don't let anyone make you feel guilty about it. Uh, I think this idea that, like, oh, how much money must it cost to send this celebrity into space? Like, we could be dedicating that to so many other better things. You know what? This isn't our tax dollars. This isn't the U.S. government paying a ton of money that they otherwise could have been devoting toward paying down the national debt to sending William Shatner into space to relive his Captain Kirk years. It's a private company who made their money in the free market, and now they're choosing to use it by sending a celebrity into space. Let them do whatever they want. They earned it. Let them do it. Who cares? Right. And the thing is, Evan, is you and I will likely have the opportunity to do that in 30 or 40 years if we're still around. William Shatner is not going to be around when commercial space travel is a normal thing to do. Well, I'm trying out right now for a few. I have a few auditions for some space travel movies and TV shows. Uh, so I'm really hoping to get though. My long game is to get those roles and then 40 years from then get sent up to space via SpaceX or Amazon or whatever as a way of helping me relive my glory years and satisfying my then aged fan base. So that's my long game. Yeah. The, the only other thing you got to worry about is building that fan game or that fan base. Yeah, it's kind of funny that the way people go nuts for celebrities who played a certain role on TV doing something in real life that vaguely resembles that role. It's like when two, like when Ross and Rachel get together in Friends and then the actors that played them get together, if, if that were ever to happen in real life, people would lose their mind. And it's, there's something about like life imitating art that I think is the crux of why this is such a big story that I understand completely, but it's kind of a weird phenomenon if you think about it. Right, and and it, it actually, that's exactly what it is. It's honing into people's nostalgia, and people will do anything to celebrate their own nostalgia. And William Shatner is nostalgic to a lot of people. He's probably so happy he took that role. He's like, damn, if I just passed on that and took some other show instead, I wouldn't be going to space right now. Like, what do I deserve to be up here for? I Because I played a captain in Hollywood on TV 30 years ago. So it's kind of crazy when you think about it that way, but... Anyway, our next piece of news is Air New Zealand is offering to vaccinate people on airplanes. So anyone who's unvaccinated in New Zealand, boarding an Air New Zealand flight can get vaccinated right there on the plane in the company of all of their fellow passengers. What do we think about this? 
I think it's great. I don't I don't know what there is to necessarily be against that. I it begs the question of why the people are not getting vaccinated in advance, I suppose. Like who who is like it makes perfect sense if you have a last minute travel opportunity to come up and you haven't been able to get vaccinated yet and this will happen, you know, maybe you have uh you had the death of a foreign uh family member abroad that you need to leave the country for immediately. Other than that, I don't really understand the point. Like, why wouldn't you just get vaccinated on the ground? But I mean, sure, that's great. Good for them. Hey, I'm a supporter of this all around the world, you know, not even for COVID vaccine, for any vaccine, you know, just if I want to get, if I'm flying from Boston to New York and I'm like, hey, you know what? I've been vaccinated for tuberculosis in five years. I'm due. I'll get, let me get my tuberculosis vaccine in flight. Have a whole vaccine clinic, section off the back of the plane. Let everyone catch up on their vaccines. You need vaccines to get into a lot of countries. You need the yellow fever vaccines to get into a lot of places in Africa and Asia. It's a pain in the ass to have to figure out how to go to an infectious disease doctor, get know what, to, know what vaccines you need to get, make an appointment before a uh, trip. So offer it on the plane. The flight's going to, to the Congo. The people on the flight are like, hey, the nurses, they, they know this is what you need to go to the Congo. Just vaccinate everyone while they're on the en route to the Congo. So much easier. One-stop shop. It might be the future, you know, instead of, hey, I'm going to go to the vaccine clinic. Hey, I'm going to go to the airport and you're just knocking two birds with one stone. Exactly. Also, you know, what if what if this is the result of this, Evan? What if what happens with these in-flight vaccines is the medical industry discovers a new way to alleviate uh, the anxiety surrounding medical treatments, right? Because so a lot of people have anxiety around flying uh, or at the very least are preoccupied mentally when they're flying, you know, by the fact that they're flying, they won't be so uh, up in arms about getting a little bit of medical treatment while they're on the plane because their their thoughts are already preoccupied with the fact that they're on a plane. Normalize vaccinations, make it commonplace, make it like to stroll into a retail store and buying a, a light bulb. I don't know, like they can even upsell you. So you go on the plane, you go, you, you need typhoid vaccine to go to a uh, Congo. They could be like, oh, okay, so now you've had your typhoid. Can I interest you in something of the yellow fever variety? Can I interest you in a tuberculosis vaccine? Uh, you don't need it to go where you're going, but you might want hepatitis B because you look like you might be at risk. So I don't know. I could see it being kind of like, and people are like, you know what? I'm here. Why not? Why not just get it? Yeah. It's an efficiency thing is what it is. And you know what? Like, I like it. I like you're doing something productive while you're traveling. You're also doing something productive. You're in flight, you know, so you can't you've got to be there. You might as well do something productive while you're there, which on a side note, Evan, is why I personally am very excited about autonomous vehicles, because one thing that I would love to do is to be able to work while I'm driving right while I'm on like an all day road trip. If I need to commute somewhere, if I need to commute across Colorado for some reason, uh, that's part of the reason why I like taking the bus so much is that I can double up on a workday while I'm also traveling at the same time. Autonomous vehicles will solve that problem. Autonomous vehicles that also vaccinate you. How about that? Yeah, there you go. Three birds with yep. one stone. You just press a button. There's like a whole uh, dashboard of available vaccines. You press press what you want. Little robotic arm comes out, just vaccinates you right there while you're driving. Easy. Right. And there's even a role for Elon Musk here because we need that Wi-Fi. Uh, we need that satellite Wi-Fi. So uh, come on, Elon, step up. Great. Perfect. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Evan Flo underscore on Instagram, and he is Tim Winger one We'll see you guys next week.